As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. Warren Buffett once said, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And the reason why I bring that up is because I have my good buddy, Sam Con Jr. here, uh, the tech expert of The Athletic, um, and we're going to be buying and selling programs going into this year. And not because we think they're going to be good or bad, but I think also taking into account how people view them in terms of what their current value is and whether they can outperform that. So we're going to be bullish. We're going to be bearish. We're going to throw money in the air. We're going to get rich and we're going to go to the moon. To the moon. Sam, we're going to make ready? it rain. We're going to make it rain, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I, uh, I, this is going to be like mad money, Jim Cramer. Okay. We're going to try to do it this way. And I actually, uh, am quite amused by how often he's wrong and like the anti Jim Cramer funds that people are like when he says buy, they sell and, and vice versa. But I also have a sympathetic, like as somebody who's really into investing, a sympathetic side to, to that of like, how can you get on TV and talk about stocks every single day and ever be good at that? Um, I think that we have a better handle on college football than he might on where a stock's going to go, especially because so many things happen that are just um, outside of how uh, well the company's performing that takes a uh, impact on these stocks, but we're going to do our best here, Sam. So thank you for joining me. Um, we Are have we some sure Texas about that, flavor. by the way? Are we sure about that? 18, we're talking about 18 to 23-year-olds that we're uh, trying to prognosticate on. I'm not sure that we are that much better at this. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're like Alabama is going to be good most years, then it's kind of the same thing as being like that Apple's a good investment long-term. You know, it's like the speculative stocks and the cryptocurrency and all the things that the, the people on Twitter like to talk about trying to get rich quick and overnight. Like I think investing is easy. You just buy, you know, index funds and, and companies that you're comfortable with long-term never sell anything and just wait long-term you'll do good. But there is a certain aspect to this show where it's like, let's try to make some money quick. Um, so let's first start off with your first buy. We're going to go three sells, three buys, and we're going to go every other. Um, and there's some Texas flavor in here because that is your expertise and I'm excited to fire you up. So Sam, I'm going to start with you. What is your first big purchase? What are you buying low here? Clemson. Buy him. Buy him now. 
<laughs> I love that. This is going to be fun. Uh, I'm 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 buying Clemson right now, and obviously they've been a really good program. But I feel like people are a little bit down on them right now, mm-hmm. or have been, and, and I think people are wondering whether you know they they've regressed a little bit from national championship level to simply very very good. But I really am buying Clemson for one particular reason: the combination of Garrett Riley and Cade Klubnik. I think those two are going to make magic together this year. Klubnik, of course, five-star quarterback from the state of Texas, really talented guy. He's got all the tools. I think when you look at what Garrett Riley did as offensive coordinator at TCU last year with Max Duggan, who had some talent, but was this is this was not a five-star quarterback that type type of talent like Klubnik is. He was able to get that offense and that team all the way to a national championship. And so when I see what he did with Duggan. I can only imagine what he may be able to do with Kate Klubnick and the level of talent, baseline talent level that Clemson has from the way it recruits, which is at a much higher level than TCU does. So for that reason, I'm buying Clemson. You're buying the dip. You're buying the dip right now because right now people, I, I feel like I said this on another show, but I think it's true that Clemson is a team that's situated to go to the playoff this year based on their path in the ACC and how good they are. But I feel like they haven't really been much of a talking point this offseason for anybody. And that's kind of interesting because they do have a quarterback who might be a Heisman contender, if not this year, the following year. Um, So to me, the one thing that uh, Dave Ubbin said to me in a previous show that I think is interesting is that I don't know who their offensive skill is going to be. I think Bo Collins is going into his third year. I think he's a former five-star receiver. I'm excited to see if he steps up. And I also think that it's interesting that uh, they are a pretty good buy at this point because they are, I think, the fifth or sixth most talented team in college football. And when you look, you know, roster to roster in the ACC, you're not going to find any teams that stack up that way. So if you're buying right now the Clemson idea that we're not talking about them much and they're going to make the playoff this year and I'm going to make some quick money, I think that that makes a ton of sense. Um, now, that said, uh, I don't know about their their depth right now uh, at a few positions, and I don't know, you know what happens if the quarterback doesn't take a step forward. So there is some speculation there, but I like your buy. Thank you, Ari. I appreciate that from someone who follows this stuff. Uh, and like you said, I'm, I'm subscribing to your theory. You talk about the talented roster. You get as many blue chip prospects as they have. You feel like that you start at a really good spot. And when you could juxtapose that with where they are in the ACC, I think they're really good. L- listen, I think we the expectations for Clemson got so high because they have won national championships. Uh, I think Dabo Swinney, when he was at the AFCA convention this year, I remember listening to him people feeling a little down on Clemson. He's like, buddy, we won 11 games last year. They went 11 and three. This was not a bad team. So it's, it's, I'm betting that that talent with the moves that they have made. And I think the willingness, the track record of their coach. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. The the willingness Dabble had to go outside the Clemson family to make this move and hire Garrett Riley, I think shows a lot about his willingness. Cause I think a lot of people say, is Dabble willing to adapt? You know, because mm-hmm. he's been slower on the portal and things like that. He has a certain way that he recruits, uh, which is a little bit unconventional compared to some of the other programs out there of that level. But this that hire, making that hire and going that direction shows, hey, yeah, I am willing to adapt at least somewhat uh, if it's going to mean that it's going to help my program win. And part of this, too, Sam, is 
buying a good time. Because if Clemson were one of the four teams in the country that people thought were going to win a national championship, it might be a tough buy uh, because they would have to meet those expectations for you to at least break even. Whereas here, I think if they make the playoff, you cash. So that to me is a pretty good situation. And I don't know what the Vegas odds are, but I think Clemson might be um, around plus money to make the playoff this year. So, or, or around even um, if I, if I remember seeing that correctly. So that's good. All right. My first buy Texas. Bye. 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 <laughs> of course. Of course. I, uh, I paused a little bit just for a dramatic effect. And listen, um, this podcast is, still in the in the first few weeks of his existence in its current iteration. And I listened back to our first pilot episode with me and Dave Ubbin. And he did not let me get my takes off for Texas. Uh, <laughs> we, we argued about it, but I don't feel like I really was able to express how I feel about it. Um, well, I'm going to clear the lane. I'm going to clear the lane for you one-on-one. Yeah. Do your ISO. Do your thing. Yeah, and I appreciate that, Sam. And, and the thing about Texas is when you think about the value of it before I get into my reasoning – People are still selling this stock. This isn't a very high stock. Now, there are a few people who are starting to join the bandwagon. I think the joke always is, you know, that they are the preseason poll national champions every year and they never measure up to it. But I think that that's happened so many times that people in general are down. Like, I don't find this to be an expensive stock to buy. Would you agree or do you think people or this have the numbers been pumped up on this one a little bit? Uh, I think it's bumping up right now because I just came back from Big 12 Media Days and and they were picked number one in the conference for the first time since the Big 12 lost divisions. Uh, So it's been more than 12, 13 years since Texas has been picked as high as they are in the preseason poll. I think people are starting to recognize how well Texas has recruited under Steve Sarkeesian and the way he's constructed the roster. That They've definitely done all the right things when it comes to building a contender. But I think... You are right in some ways. I think there is just some general skepticism because Texas hasn't done it in the last decade plus. They, they've only had it's one like, 10 yeah. win season since 2009. So it's I like think Tesla making the cyber truck here. You know, it's like everybody's like speculation is, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Tesla has been one of the best performing stocks in the country um, for the course of the past five years. And I think a lot of that is, you know, technology and speculation of what's going to happen next in terms of viewing it as a technology company and not a car company. And it's like I view Texas as a blue chip stock. I I, I view Texas as a Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State peer that hasn't really gotten there yet. So even if the stock is creeping, creeping up a little bit um, because of that. I I am a long-term shareholder. You know, I fall into this trap every single year, um, but this year more than ever in the past, because I will admit in the past, I think I've been more blinded by just the sheer amount of talent and not the actual physical pieces that are going to be on the field. And the first thing I want to say, Sam, is that Texas is going to have good offensive and defensive lines this year, which I think is something that may have been lacking in the past. Second of all, I expect a huge step forward uh, from Quinn Ewers a year ago. I I almost feel like people think he stinks, and it blows my (laughs) mind because he does not stink. He was a first-year starter who was battling injuries. He had some things that you might not want to remember, but he's had good moments too. Like, And and if what I was trying to say to Dave, and then he interrupted me, Dave, is that (laughs) if Steve Sarkeesian was able to convince 
Arch Manning to come to Texas based on the merits of him as a quarterback developer, then I think that we have to at least expect that he's going to work that magic on Quinn and that Quinn's going to be much better this year. Now take a look at some of the uh, offensive skill talent that they have. You know, I know that they lost B. John Robinson, who was a major piece of their offense, but I think that might mean that they're going to throw it a little bit more. They have a five-star uh, freshman coming in at running back, but they've got his Xavier worthy, you know, is Kelvin banks, a top 15 pick this year, JT Sanders could be a first round pick. They've got a lot of pieces to score a ton of points. So add into the equation that Alabama and Oklahoma, their two biggest games of the year. Uh, one of which I think Alabama will be the only game in which Texas is not favored all season are not peak versions of themselves, which I think we'll get into later on into this show. And that makes me feel like thinking that they're going to make the playoff is a good buy right now. So I think sound effect to the moon is something that is going to happen this year because I think that they're actually going to break. They're going to break through. Uh, I really genuinely believe they're going to break through. Now, the one thing that I can't account for and the thing that you might not see in the earnings calls or um, (laughs) on the balance sheet is whether they're going to screw off a game to Kansas State or to Iowa State or one of these teams in the Big 12 like they do every year. But I just think that they are built and situated differently than they have been in the last few years. You have to give C. Sarkeesian the benefit of the doubt that he can still do it, even though there's a lot of doubt about his 10 years in, in in the sport, not winning 10 games that he can. And this is the make or break year. If they if they don't do it this year, when are they going to do it? And if they don't do it this year, I'm out on Steve Sarkeesian. That was strong. You you took that one to the rack and threw it down with. Well, because I've been I've been bitter <laughs> at my house alone. Like I listened to that back. I'm like, I'm my first podcast back. And I'm trying to get a Texas takeoff. And he rode me over like that doesn't happen on this show. <laughs> and I've been thinking about it for for a week now. So. Like, listen, you don't have to agree with it, and you might not. Like, you're more of a seasoned Texas person than I am. You've been here your whole life. You've been covering these teams longer than I have, and you might have your doubts. But I think that when you look at the evidence, I think that that's more compelling of an argument than, oh, they used to stink three years ago, so why would they? You know, like, that, to me, is irrelevant. It's whether or not you believe Sark can change it, and if he can, then this is the year they're going to do it. I'll agree. I'll agree with you on on one point for sure, and I think they are built properly and on the offensive and defensive lines. The two questions I have, and you you hit on that one just now, is this season is going to be a referendum on Steve Sarkeesian, is whether or not he is the guy, because all the pieces are in place. The Big Twelve looks like it's wide open; it's there for the taking. So th- there there's two questions: there's Steve Sarkeesian, and then there's Quinn Ewers. Can Quinn make that next step? I agree with you. He's a superbly talented young man. He's got tremendous arm talent. I think he's got all the tools. You saw the flashes against Alabama Mm -hmm. in that game, that first quarter before he got hurt. The potential is there. It's just a matter of can he maintain it? Can he be consistent? And I think people are hard on him because I think generally as college football observers and fans, I think our expectations for five-star quarterbacks is way up here because we expect – the five-star blue chip guy to come in and look like Tua or look like Trevor Lawrence right off the bat. And not everybody and not everybody's trajectory and path is like that. There's going to be some ups and downs. Quinn had some ups and downs last year and that's okay. He was essentially, I know he went to Ohio state for six months or four months before he transferred to Texas, but he was essentially a true freshman last year. That's essentially Mm -hmm. what he was because of the way the circumstances that he left South Lake Carroll. But 
I'm a, I'm so I'm a little more forgiving on Quinn, and I do think he's going to take a step forward. You hear all the right things, but the Sark is where the question is for me: is he's not taking a team to the level that we're expecting? We're expecting Texas to win a conference championship. We're expecting Texas, or you, you certainly expect them to go to the college football playoff, and that's going to be uncharted territory for Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach. He's done it as an assistant, certainly with success at USC and Alabama, but doing it as a head coach is another thing, and that's where this year becomes pivotal for Texas and that and that head coach. Some dude was chirping at me on Twitter saying, I saw you took Quinn yours in the Heisman draft in the first round. You're a moron. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, when I was doing the Heisman draft, I was also looking at the odds from Vegas. And I think he's got the fourth highest odds of anybody because, listen, if they go to the playoff or win the Big 12 and he has a good year, that's the perfect combination of, you know, NIL – King goes down to Texas, stays at home, wears cowboy boots in public with his Lucchese deal. And like, that's, I mean, he's got the it factor. Um, that said, I don't understand why people don't think he's going to be much better this year. And I think there is a underlying resentment from some fans. And maybe it's because I'm still exposed a lot to Ohio state fans because of my past. And they resent the fact that he came to Ohio state and bolted so quickly, but you know, the way that he left South Lake Carroll early for NIL purposes or to start his career early and all these things. I think people just view him as like a Tate Martellish type player who kind of had all the flash and the flair, but never really amounted to anything. And I don't think that they're anything alike. And if you don't think that there's going to be a major step from year one to year two, like, I mean, I think there's a legitimate chance he could be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft coming up. And, and maybe that's big talk. And, uh, you know, you're just like, I didn't just buy Texas. I like <laughs> leveraged my family's future on Texas, but it's you put the mortgage down on it. <laughs> I just think I'm well reasoned. I can't I can't tell the future and I can't tell the future by saying what happened in the past because nothing happens for the first time until it does. Um, I think that if there is a combination of roster, quarterback and and schedule, like these are the three things that have lined up perfectly for them. And I, if, if people are selling right now and I can get a good deal on Texas, I'll buy it. Bye bye. Uh, and if I uh, uh, go down with the ship, then I'll play the violin on the Titanic deck. We'll see what happens by week four. I might know the answer to that. So, okay. <laughs> that was a long winded first, first two, but I thought that that really started off really well. So, but before we move on to your first sell, are you buying Texas with me? To go to the playoff? No, to get it, to get a 10 win season and win a big 12 championship. Yes. But if that I'll happens, that. I make money. Yes. Based yes. on where the the perception of the team now, if they make uh, the Big 12 championship game, beat um, Oklahoma and avoid losing more than one stupid game this year, then I think the value of a Texas stock in December will be much higher than people view it now. Okay. No doubt. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Textbook season. Let's go. Uh, who is your first bear cell? Bear. I want TCU. Man, I know you and I. <laughs> you and I had a long discussion about TCU right before the national championship game. So this uh, this may come as a little bit of a surprise to you, but I think this one's an easy sell for this season. Long term, let's see. But but for this season uh, in the 2023 campaign. I think there's too much production lost to to go in on TCU. I think they'll be a good team, but I don't think they'll be a I don't think expect them to be back in Arlington for the Big 12 championship game. I think when you lose Max Duggan, you lose Quentin Johnston, you lose Kendry Miller, a few offensive linemen, uh, they've got a coordinator change on offense. That's a lot to deal with, a lot of change to reckon with. And they are not built and they're not they do not recruit at the level that those top five, top 10 teams do to withstand that. Now they have done a good job in the portal of replacing some of that talent, but I think that all has to sort itself out and you have to see how they all gel together. I think this program will be good long-term, but for this year, I'm just a little bit down on TCU. Yeah. Well, the thing I want to know is, was there a sell-off of TCU after the national championship game? Like where are people at with TCU coming into this year? Because I think there's a baseline understanding that, uh, in the Big 12, when the, the results on the field are so you know varied from year to year, um, and the fact that what they did last year was truly remarkable, I don't know if there's an expectation to do that again. I think mm-hmm. that we look at that and view it as a, a remarkable feat, and ironically enough, they did it without even winning their own conference. Um, so from a sell standpoint, if if you think that people think that TCU is going to all of a sudden run, run wire to wire here and kick – kick the crap out of the rest of the conference, like then I would sell that idea. I just don't know what the rational thought process is for like the buying point or the entry point. So um, that said, I also think that TCU is going to beat the crap out of Colorado in the first game of the season and welcome them into their uh, new (laughs) conference and welcome the rest of the world into understanding and contextualizing what that team actually is going to be this year. But I can get on board with the idea of just like reminding people of like, Hey, last year was a really good run. Uh, they had their moment, but this is a very competitive conference where uh, the spreads for all the games are three points every week, and you never know what's going to happen. Doing what they did last year again is just probably not going to happen. Like I can get on board with that. Does it strike you, Ari, as l- – let's take this year aside. Let's look forward. When Texas and OU move out of the conference, do you think TCU can be an actual factor at a national level in the next – two, three, four years. What does that mean though? Like that's like, that's the thing that's difficult. Making the playoff, making the 12 team playoff. I think that they will be a, one of the premier teams in the big 12. And as uh, I wrote a column that you helped me with (laughs) a few weeks ago, (laughs) I doubt what the big 12 is going to be nationally. So that's the hardest part. But as it pertains to making the playoff, making the 12 team field out of the big 12 is going to be, that's the, the apple of their eye. I mean, that that opportunity is right there for them to grab. So I can buy that. What I can't buy 
is that in two, three, four, five years, as as much respect as I have for Sonny Dykes and what he did last year and the way that he builds his team, I think that the notion that they're ever going to be able to beat Georgia or win those games is uh, never going to happen. So like that's that's and I think that's where you and I clash a lot because, you know, I don't think you buy into that that viewpoint. But like, do you think that a big 12 team after TC or after Texas and Oklahoma leave for the SEC, any of the remaining teams, including Colorado now, will ever be able to build a roster that resembles what happened or what Georgia's roster looked like last year? No, I don't think that. No, I don't think that's possible. I do think it will be possible for some Big 12 teams to recruit closer to a top maybe 15 level. Like TCU is one of those teams that they yeah. recruit right now to top 20 level. Maybe they can get a top 15, top 12 maybe if they – And if, if they, they do they, that consistently, they're the king of the new Big 12. Right, and if you do yeah. that and you portal really well, which they have done, which Sonny Dykes did both at SMU and at TCU, and you fill those gaps and, and you can have some roster stability – then that gives you a chance over teams that recruit at a high level, but also have a lot of turnover. So mm-hmm. I, I don't buy that a team out of that conference can never win a national championship. It certainly is going to be difficult because I think the SEC and Big Ten and, and those power teams are going to be on an island when it comes to talent acquisition. But I do think that, that there's going to be a power that emerges in the Big 12 when Texas and OU leaves. E, no, they will they not be the favorite the then for me. Level. But but there will be a team, whether it's TCU or Texas Tech or Oklahoma State or Baylor, whoever, somebody will emerge and will raise their status and will move up on the food chain in college football. Yeah. Well, I, the thing I the thing that I think is interesting about that discussion, and for fear of time, I don't want to drag us because we could go for an hour on this alone, is that just because Texas and Oklahoma are leaving doesn't mean that they're not going to be recruiting from the same pools of of geographical areas. Texas is still going to be big in Texas. Oklahoma is still going to be in big in Texas. They're playing different games against other teams. But what is going to have to happen? Like when you say raise your stature, do you mean raise your stature in comparison to your peers? Or do you think that means getting immeasurably better than they are now, regardless of what Oklahoma and Texas are doing? That's the thing that I doubt. I think that they might be able to raise their stature because they're not in a shadow anymore, but I don't know if there's a recruiting opportunity or a opening that exists now because they don't play uh, Oklahoma and Texas on their schedule anymore because there's nothing changing about the pools of players and where they're going. So that, that to me is a really interesting discussion point. But that said, if TCU turns into a team that beats the crap out of all the big 12 teams every year and doesn't have to get through Oklahoma and Texas anymore and then becomes the consistent big 12 champion over a five to seven, eight year period, then all of a sudden Sonny Dykes, who owns Dallas and is like the president of the city, um, can maybe get more players at a more effective level because TCU is going to be viewed as a an annual playoff contender that has raised its bar a little bit in that regard. So that's a that's a complex discussion, but I think that um, it's an interesting one. So, okay. Well, we're on my first sell. My first sell, and it's going to break some people's hearts, and they're going to hate me for it. I'm selling Penn State. Sell, sell, sell. Oh. I think they're going to be a very good football team. I am very excited to watch Drew Aller cook. I know they have some really important skill position players. Nick Singleton might be one of the best at his position in the in the country. Um, a lot of their defensive production is back. I am not sure that I think that they could go one one against Ohio State. I think that there is a notion and a thought process that tech or that sorry 
Texas just owns <laughs> my mind. Um, that Penn State is going to be one of the top six teams in the country this year. And if that's the case, that means that the Big Ten East might have three of the top six in the country. I can almost buy that because of the gap between number three and number five and six is usually pretty large. Um, but in order for me to make money on Penn State right now, I think Penn State would have to make the playoff. And I don't think that is a good bet. Now, could they be 10 and two or 11 and one? Uh, I guess that's possible. I'm expecting them to have the best team that they've had in quite some time under James Franklin. I just think that it's unfortunate for them that it's coinciding with when Michigan has the best team that they've had, you know, and having to play in that same division is a hard, hard, hard proposition for me. So that is why I think their, their stock is pretty high right now in order for you to make some good money between now and December, they're going to have to break through and actually win the big 10 or make the playoff. And I just have a hard time envisioning that scenario playing out. Where are you on James Franklin? At this point, uh, I think that he I would not have given him a 10 year God contract at the time that which they gave it to him. Um, I think that he's done a very good job um, elevating Penn State to a team that can assemble a roster that's top 10 the way that we view it right now. Um, I don't have any faith whatsoever in his ability as a game manager or a uh, regular season product to get his team to a level that means making the playoff. Like he, he is in Nicole and I, I quizzed max on this on another show, but I'm going to quiz you. Uh, he has played 23 games at Penn state against top 10 opponents. Guess his record. Five and 18. Close three and 20. Wow. And that to me Dude, is like not- gross. <laughs> so That's bad. It's like looking at a company that you think can expand very quickly, but then you look at the balance sheet and they're in a lot of debt. I think that he's that Penn State's in a lot of debt right now, and they've got a lot to repay before I can just blindly trust that they're going to go uh, into Ohio Stadium and beat Ohio State or, or beat Michigan, which is a team they've had even more trouble with. Penn State plays Ohio State really well, and, and beating them is not a impossible thing to, to consider, especially if you think that Ohio State's going to be a fractured version of itself without a uh, – you know, some offensive tackles that they have to replace and the quarterback that uh, hasn't proven himself yet. But like it's that I think it's a very big leap to predict that Penn State is going to do it. Can they? Absolutely. Do I think they will? No, that's why I'm selling. But they but they are a program. So but beyond this year, they are a program that when this 12 team playoff comes in, they're going to benefit quite a bit from it because they've I think been, they they've will been benefit more than court. anybody. Yeah. I don't think there's another program in college football that will benefit more than Penn State of, of that 12 team field. That said, are they ever going to win enough when they make the playoff, if nothing improves, um, to get to the final four of that new tournament? Like that's going to still be the standard for that program, and and it should be. So um, I have a hard time with the expanded playoff, and I always, whenever I have a new guest or a new buddy on here, I always like to reiterate (laughs) that just because Penn State makes the playoff every year moving forward doesn't mean that they got better. It just means that we move the goalposts of what success looks like. I still would want them to win games in the playoff in the future in order to do that. So, but this is the most excited that it's like, it's weird because I'm selling Penn state, but it's also a team that I'm most excited about. I mean, Penn state wise in five, six, seven years. So it's a, it's just, they're high right now. They're already high. I'm shorting the stock that's, that's gone through the roof in the last month. That's a, I, I think I get a bear noise. Don't I? i don't have been around a real life bear so i i honestly don't know that i know what they sound like 
Yeah. Uh, Mitch Light's uh, number one fear in life is running into a bear in, in person. And I find that to be the funniest thing in the entire world because you're an adult man who lives in Nashville. It's a legitimate fear, though. Why is that something that it's like my fear is like dying alone. His is like running into a bear in the Kroger parking lot. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. Uh, All right. Your second buy. Nebraska Cornhuskers. Buy them. Buy them now. (laughs) This is a long-term buy for me. This is not necessarily a 2023 thing. But I, this is a bet on Matt Rule because what he's done in his past two college coaching stops, we're going to throw the NFL out, out of this equation because this is not the NFL. And it's not but relevant. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I don't think it's that relevant to this discussion. But what he did at Temple and turning them into a team that was able to go uh, win at a high level and then turning Baylor into a team that played for Big 12 championship. And then later, a lot of that roster won a Big 12 championship under Dave Aranda. I am a big believer in rules, ability to build a program, develop, and I love the way they recruit. We sat here talking about recruiting at a top 10 level. I don't know that they ever will at Nebraska under Matt Rule. But because strategy they use is something I find fascinating, which is, and Ari, you're well aware of this, heavy on length speed and metrics even if the tape stinks so if there's a guy out there who has the height the weight the speed the length and stuff that they can project that will be an nfl player but the the, his tape his high school tape stinks they'll take him and it's a bold bet because not a lot of coaches are willing to do it uh but i think that strategy has shown certainly showed at baylor i was able to see it firsthand it paid off they took some guys that that other programs weren't offering and that weren't interested in and he's doing it now at Nebraska. And I think eventually it's you're going to see the talent level rise because they're going to be able to develop those guys. And I think over time, Nebraska is going to finally get it figured out here under the Matt Rule era. I'm 100% in agreement with you uh, in the Big Ten preview podcast, which you may or may not have heard uh, by the time this one goes up. I thought Nebraska had a chance to be the Big Ten West breakout team. Um, and the reason why is because they have a lot of talent on their team in comparison to the teams in their side of the conference and also are going to be eradicating the dysfunction that has marred that program for the past five years. Um, you know, the Scott Frost era was an interesting one because we used to laugh at how crazy they would lose, you know, like people would in untimely fumbles, weird play calls, onside kicks in Ireland, like everything that you can come up with uh, just never went their way. And it's like if you combine the dysfunction of the Scott Frost era with the relentless competence that Matt rule shows in every regard of how he runs the program, whether it be on the field and in recruiting, doesn't that automatically just equate to Nebraska winning at least eight games. And if that's the case, then you buy stock in that because I still think that people view Nebraska as the butt of a joke. Um, And I have a sneaky suspicion that we're going to have to find something else to make fun of this year because they're going to be a tough team. I think they're going to be a pretty good team. They're going to be a tough out, and I don't think that they're going to shoot themselves in the foot every week like they used to. And if you, if you, I mean, how many didn't they lose like 10 out of the 11 one score games two years ago? Like they lose close games all the time just from incompetence, you know? So, so get somebody in there that kind of, you know, brings everything above board and gets everybody on the same page. I like the ingredients there. Now it might take some time, um, but their quarterback might be awesome this year, you know? I mean, we've, we, we've seen him in another conference and Jeff Sims and, and, having really, really good tape. 
Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Nebraska is competing for a Big Ten championship berth in year one. I mean, I would be, I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I think that's <laughs> out there. So um, I'm with you on this. I would buy, and I think that their price is low, and I think that he is going to, you know, you're. It's going to be like the S and P 500 uh, ETF. It's just going to you know, slowly go up and up and up. And then one day you're going to look and go, holy crap, how did it get that high? I think it's a good long-term <laughs> buy. Um, and I think it's going to pay dividends. I just love these stock, these stock puns. <laughs> you do clearly. Yeah. And uh, hit me with a bear. Wait, no, that's a bull bull. Give me a bull. <laughs> uh, I think that's a good buy, Sam. Okay. My second buy. And it's, I don't know if it's because I live in Dallas now and maybe I just have a <laughs> s- mental illness. I don't know. I'm, I'm sick. Uh, A&M. I'm, I'm going to buy baby. Texas A&M. Uh, <laughs> I think that there is this notion and you'll know this about me as you continue to listen to this podcast and our friendship uh, begins and continues to flourish. My least favorite form of analysis is, well, they've always sucked like that to me is worthless. Um, and I guess there is something to be gained sometimes from that if you think that the reason why they always stink is a systemic problem that still exists. And I guess it, with Texas A&M, there's a case to be made that that could be the case, and even with Texas. But when you look at the roster, they are more closely constructed uh, to Alabama and Georgia than they are Vanderbilt and, and some of the other cellar-dweller teams of the SEC. Um and really, if they get off to a 5-0 and start or something, and if you look at their schedule, I think it's a pretty reasonable thing to think if they get through Miami, they could. Um, and Connor Wegman takes a huge step forward. You look at that roster, which, you know, they had a lot of defections in the transfer portal, but they kept the 2022 class intact. The one that had 18 or 19 top 100 players in it. Like, I like the fact that Jimbo Fisher got an offensive coordinator, which is an admission that he needs help to freshen things up. I like that they're going into year two of the Connor Wegman era. I like that they're going into year two and a lot of the careers from those players in that class. I think their defensive line is going to be nasty. Um, And their receivers are really, really good. I mean, uh, Evan Stewart, I think, is a star. Uh, I look at uh, Ruben Owens is on that team. They're good. Like They're not a shitty team. I don't know why people think they stink. And I think there's a chance, again, buying low in the world of public perception, that AM could finish second in their division this year and have an eight or nine, 10 win season. Maybe eight isn't a good one. Maybe nine or 10 wins. No, eight wins. If they win eight games, I think people still have questions about Jimbo Fisher yeah. in this program. Yeah, like, yeah. Eight they games better win good. more than eight games this year. No, nine, I think, is the mark. Like, you got to go at least nine and three. I think people think they're not good because they lost to App State. And just last year was such a mess, even though they had a lot of talent. Here's the thing. I would agree with you that I'm higher on them now than maybe I was five, six months ago because I'm starting to think, despite Jimbo Fisher's unwillingness to just publicly come out and say, yes, I hired Bobby Petrino and he's going to call plays. For some reason, it, it, it pains Jimbo Fisher to have to say that publicly and to answer questions from people who I think he feels are beneath him. But that notwithstanding... I think he's going to end up this, – this is this is the gamble that I'm saying this, but I think he's going to end up staying out of the way and let Bobby do his thing. Well, because it doesn't matter what he says. It's what he did. He right. hired Exactly. Yeah. exactly. To, to, to paraphrase one of Jimbo Fisher's favorite quotes, your actions speak so loud I can't hear what you're saying. You know, And so that's the thing is Jimbo verbally has not been able to really seem like he can get over it, but it seems like from everything I hear is that – 
things are better in the offensive staff room right now. And, and Bobby's going to bring a different flavor to this office. There was something that Nania Smith said, the receiver at who's back, today. by the way, he is back. And that is <laughs> They've got a lot of He's skill here. Yeah. Maybe they're maybe their best all around player on the roster because uh, he does everything. But there was something he said that I caught, caught my eye a little bit. And he said last year, or he said when we you, when he's talking about by Petrino and how many points they're going to score and how open guys are going to be and all this other stuff. He was talking about how they're not so hung up on perfection. And if you know how Jimbo Fisher runs his offense, everything has to be precise and down to the detail. And if it's not perfect, then it doesn't work. And I think that bogged down AM and the offensive talent they had. And if Petrino is a little looser with that and a little more forgiving in the way that we've seen a lot of coaches are these days, especially the coaches who go more up-tempo and, and have spread it out over the last 15, 20 years, that ability to not necessarily have to hone in on every little detail and the drop and is exact. And like details matter. Yes, but it also matters just getting players in space and getting your best players, the ball. And I think Petrino will do that. And if they do that, this offense has a chance to be one of the best offenses in the country. When you look at the sheer talent level, I think Connor Wigman's a star, but my question is, is do the discipline issues they had is, are those still going to be an issue? And, is Jimbo a good big picture program manager? He's he's lived his entire head coaching career as the offensive play caller and doing the game plan and all that. And in some sometimes last year that got in the way of doing the other things like managing discipline issues in your program or doing the other things that you need to do as a CEO head coach. Is he willing to make that change enough that it's going to help this team go? I, that I don't know, but I do think the talent. I agree with you is on the roster to get it done. Could they win the SEC West? Yes. Yes, they could. Do I think they will? No. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I mean, I, but the fact that it's a yes is a testament to how they're built. And like in a world that still exists, the possibility of Bobby Petrino drawing up some plays, Connor Wegman becoming a star, and Anaya Smith and Evan Stewart balling out. Like there is a an equation there where they could be one of the like last year's entire story with them was offensive dysfunction. What if they're Really good. Like you can fit, you can't fix the Jimmy and Joe's in a year, but you can fix the X's and O's. Get people feeling good about themselves, new quarterback. And I, you know, I know that Max Johnson is still technically in a uh, mix there at the quarterback, but I don't if know. If they don't how start Connor Wegman, then then I lose all faith in Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. But Connor's the guy. People seem to be at a college station. I've, I've heard uh, high on what Max Johnson has done in the past. I don't know. They have options there. And if he wins the job, that means he's better. Um, just, I think this is a good buy based on bye, where bye, they bye. are. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> kind of feel like, uh, NSYNC a little bit. Bye, bye, bye. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you so got Texas next? and Texas A&M. So that's, I, I'm no, curious how the fans feel about that. <laughs> it's a disease. And it's funny because I've been, I get accused of being a Homer every time I, uh, you know, I never thought in a million years, a million years, I'd ever be a Texas or an A&M Homer, but that's. <laughs> I got an You're a homer for everybody, Ari. You're homer yeah, for Yeah, no, I'm a homer and hater for everybody. Right now, for I'm, Texas, Texas I don't know if you saw the Twitter on, on Thursday, but I'm a pit hater today, I guess. You're a um, pit hater? Yeah.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay. So your next one is uh, your next uh, sell. I hate to say it. Alabama. Sell them. Get what you can for them. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, and this is not selling them like the dynasties over anything like that. Uh, I'm not going to make any grand proclamations of that. But I think it's selling them as a team that will win a national championship this year. I, I just think there are too many questions at this point. Uh, when you look at they had to take a quarterback in the portal after spring, which I think, again, actions speak louder than words here. That That is certainly alarming. He, Nick has had a lot of coaching turnover in his time in coordinators, and it's always that program has always been foolproof to it. But I'm starting to wonder at what point does it become foolproof to that turnover? And then I look at just returning production. Uh, good friend, my good friend at ESPN, Bill Connolly, who does this returning production rankings, they're 122nd in returning production. So if only they had good players to, to fill in, they do, but they do, but let's, let's look at, and you, I think you and uh, David had this conversation recently. Mm-hmm. Do they have the type of game breaking receivers that we've become accustomed to? in the last five to six years is the passing game going to be what we expect it to be or what it has been. And I think until we can see that develop, then I think I'm just very tepid on Alabama right now. See, I, I love you, but I think I'm, I'm, I, they're not on my list, but I think I would buy them right now because their stock has been sold off so much in the last month that I think there's a general expectation that Alabama is going to be nine and three. Uh, Dave Ubbin is uh, convinced they're going to be nine and three. And when you say they don't have an, a wide receiver or a game breaker, it takes one game for that to change. One one time for you to see somebody new uh, on a team that signed nine five-star prospects last year to change your mind about that. So from the talent level, which is a 90% blue chip ratio, um, the head coach <laughs> who is the greatest coach in the history of college football and the fact that they might not have a quarterback, but they've got five who were all top 100 players, basically, that they could choose from. If the stock is being sold and it's priced in that they're going to go nine and three, I would buy that dip hard and it, and then hope that like maybe <laughs> I get lucky. And it's like they're one of the four teams or the five teams that can win a national championship this year. Everybody else, zero shot. And that's the way the sport's set up. And if as long as that they are built that way, I'm just going to like, I, I understand what you're saying. 
sell the notion that they're going to win a national championship. I think yes. if they won a national championship this year, that would be a underdog story for, for Alabama. <laughs> that, this Alabama, is the level Alabama has built itself that we're talking that if they win well, a national championship. Listen, the entire temperament around the way people are viewing this program has shifted in this, this offseason. Ever since Buckner transferred there, sell, sell, sell has been the mantra with this team. And I understand from your standpoint that you're selling from that peak Alabama level. But my standpoint is that that's already happened. People have already sold that. So now we're where I'm buying wounded Alabama. And I think that if they go 10 and two, we both will be right. Because I was going to say, if you say they're going to be nine and three, I would, I would go over on nine wins for sure. I I think this is still a 10 win team. This is still 10 or 11 win team. Even if they go nine and three or eight and four this year, which would be a complete disaster for Saban. The way that that roster is built and Julian Sand coming in and the, the class they signed last year and what they're going to sign this year, I'm still taking the over on a half national champions left in that guy's tank. So oh, I, yeah. I'm not selling my Nick Saban stock. I'm holding on to it. That's a blue chipper. That's like Berkshire Hathaway. You're going to keep that even after Warren Buffett passes away. It's 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 uh, it's a money maker. Okay. Let's go a little bit quicker now because we're we we I knew once we had Texas there was no shot of going forty five minutes but we're, we're going to do our best okay so now we're up to my last buy right oh yes. no my my second sell God oh, we still got a few more to go we got to make it quick we got to hurry okay, it up really quick I'm selling USC <laughs> because what? Uh, and it's it's a shame because what? I it's a shame because I have a thousand real dollars yes. on the line with Andy Staples that they'll make the playoff either this year or next year um. I don't know if they're going to fix their defense. They have a very, very good uh, quarterback, and they have offensive skill talent, and we all know what Lincoln Riley does offensively, but their defense was so pathetic last year. And the coordinator that was coordinating it is back. And whether or not you want to fault him for that, uh, I guess would be unfair because they've only had one year and he inherited what he inherited. But I don't know if I saw enough out of Alex Grinch and the, the USC defensive staff from a transfer portal talent acquisition standpoint to think that this is all of a sudden going to be a top 50 defense. And if they're as crappy as they were last year, then I'm selling the notion that they're going to make the playoff this year, which I think is a general expectation from a large portion of the fans. Um, And that's just my quick take on that. I think this is got, this is, if they don't fix it this year, then obviously they're going to probably end up making a change at DC, but yeah, I, I think to make the playoff, yeah, you've got to be a little bit better on defense. But look at how close they came even with the defensive issues. They were they were pretty damn close last year. So mm-hmm. Yeah, they I, were. I think they're still a really good team. That's what happens when you have the best player in the country leading your offense. It's just if they are the that same team as they were last year, I would be very disappointed in them. And I'm kind that, of expecting that, that, that to be the that case. That helps a lot. I, I do think having Caleb Williams as ace in the hole is huge. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're you're out on that. You're you're. You're holding on. I'm I'm holding on. I'm holding on to USC. I think. I think it's just a head. I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to to sign off on Grinch just yet. I don't think that USC has recruited at a good enough level. I I, or let me say this because recruiting isn't going to pay dividends in year one and year two. I'm disappointed by how well they've recruited. I thought it would be better. Um, That said, Lincoln Riley makes the play. They ordered really well though. Yeah, I'm hoping that that's right. Trust me, I I want to be wrong here. Okay. Uh, I've got a thousand real buckaroos that I can throw into a, <laughs> to a, a real blue chip stock here waiting on the on the line. So, um, but I just like I have this sneaky suspicion because I don't think that we've seen anything from the Oklahoma version of the uh, Lincoln Riley defenses um, to think that all of a sudden there's going to be a huge defensive makeover. 
Um, and he kept the person that was in charge at, with some crappy defenses at Oklahoma and now a crappy defense at USC. And when I say crappy, it was just, it was despicably bad. Um, so, you know, maybe if they're just borderline competent, they'll make the playoff. But I'm just I have this. It's like, are they just going to be the Oklahoma teams that they were for the five years that they made the playoff? Or are they actually going to put a defense on the field that can get a stop? OK. I think that we're on your final buy now, right? Correct. Texas Tech. To the moon. Guns up. It's a cow. That's not a bull. That's a cow. <laughs> Whatever that noise is, moo is not. But I, I love it. I, but it, it's perfect for us. I was almost I was almost hesitant to to buy here because I do feel like this stock is going up. And I do feel like it may be going up to a level that I'm almost like. You're buying, buying high. Now. You're I, buying buy, high. I started to buy high because they, they, they were fourth in the Big 12 preseason poll, which is higher than they've been. Uh, I think ever since the Big Twelve uh, went to the, its ten-team format, and but but I think this is a bet on Joey McGuire and just the vibe around that program. David David Oven mentioned this. I think when you you he 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 was kind of getting Dabo Swinney vibes from Joey uh, in the in the way that kind of Dabo became a real catalyst for them and helping Clemson move up. Uh, in the college football power structure. Certainly, I don't, I'm not buying Texas Tech going that high, but getting to the Big 12 championship game or uh, at least winning more than eight games, which they have not done in the post-Mike Leach era. Eight and five is the best record Texas Tech has had post-Mike Leach. And I, I'm definitely confident that they can at least surpass that. I think I think winning nine games this year is not out of the question at all for Texas Tech. My only thing, and I think I said this to you at Big 12 Media Days in Arlington, um, the fun teams that come out of nowhere like TCU did last year do just that. They come out of nowhere. Texas Tech is like people are looking at them this way. And like, will they be able to win the games? I, I'm excited to watch that Oregon game in week two. But can you still do that when the expectation is that you will? Because I think coming out of nowhere is different. That's all. Yeah. I, I think, I think, that, that I think you're, you're right. And and McGuire said that. We talked about that. He goes, they're going to have to handle some expectations because people are expecting that. I think uh, even though they were 8-5 and five last year, the win over Texas, I think, turned some heads. The win over Oklahoma, even though Oklahoma was down, people paid attention. It's the first time they beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same year in 50 years, I think. So it, it, people are definitely paying attention to them. I, th- I do think people are also trying to – talk them up because people are trying to find the next TCU because TCU was such an interesting story. It's like, okay, who is the next team to do that? Uh, and, and I think that's why one reason why people are pegging Texas Tech. Yeah, but I, I like the idea and I like the notion that there could be a new team and that's part of the reason why it's hard to to cap the Big 12 because teams like this, and I mean, I think they're going to be sneaky athletic too, right? Like, yep. That's that's a, that's always a huge deal in, in a conference that uh, has – Texas is its root. You know, if you have somebody who can identify those those freak players and get them in and develop them, then that's huge. Okay, my last sell or my last buy. Florida State. Bye bye bye. And I had a hard time with this uh, because their stock's pretty high too. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what they've done in the portal and how they've gotten better every single year, the fact that Jordan Travis is a sneaky buy on the Heisman ranks, uh, they got a very tremendous receiver and Keon Coleman in the transfer portal. Um, and I just think that they have portaled as well as anybody in the country. There is a real likelihood that the Clemson Florida state game, which I believe happens in either late September or early October. It's a pretty early game 
could go a long way in determining the ACC championship. Now, there's no divisions in that conference anymore, so they might have to play twice. But Florida State has kind of been a slow burn, and I just like what I've seen uh, out of Norvell and in that program. And if they can just boost their recruiting rankings a little bit, because like they they had Hunter Travis Hunter committed for a while, you know they've they've had some some heartbreakers there at the end of some of these classes, but. Um, I like what I see out of the build. And if this is the year they do it, like I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to cut you off at the knees here because you have one last sell, but my final sell is LSU. Um, sorry, uh, Cam, for, for just <laughs> going okay. out of order there. But <laughs> I, I, the reason why I just went out of out of the order there is because they're playing each other in the first mm-hmm. week of the season, which is a game that I would really love to go to and hope I can. Uh, but if not, I'll certainly be watching on TV with the rest of America of like these are two teams that people think are going to win a national championship or compete for a national championship this year. Um, And when I look at LSU, you know, I think they're going to be a very good team, but the expectation that LSU could win a national championship is much higher than Florida State. So if I had to buy one and sell one, especially considering the fact that Florida State won the game a year ago, I just kind of like what Florida State's doing. I don't think LSU has enough depth, and then they play in a much tougher conference to get that done. And, you know, granted, they have the best player in the country in Harold Perkins, but I don't know, man. From a stock perspective, I think Florida State's a much better buy than LSU, and LSU is priced way too high for a team that people think is going to win a national championship, but I'm just not on, on at that level for them yet. The path is the path is just easier for Florida State when it comes to what they have to deal with from a conference perspective. But I will say this. I do like LSU long-term. Uh, I, I After the first year, Brian Kelly, I think I saw some encouraging signs there. Uh, but on Florida State, I, I'm with you. I think I, I feel good about Mike Norvell. He's done a really good job. Did a really good job his previous stop in Memphis. I think he's a really, really bright guy. And when you – both of those programs, Florida State and LSU, are in talent-rich states. LSU obviously is able to own Louisiana. And Florida has to – obviously, it's harder to do it in the state of Florida. But when you're a good program and a consistently good program in the state of Florida and you get some momentum, that is a program with national championship pedigree. I mean, that's they've they've won it. They won it in 2013. Obviously, had a lot of success in the Bobby Bowden era prior to that. So that that is a program that if it can get on a roll, watch out. The Knowles can be really, really tough. Okay, Sam, and your final sell, Oklahoma State. Pump the brakes. <laughs> I uh, sounds like from the movie is, The Mask. Ooga. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is this is a little bit difficult for me because. I've been a believer in Mike Gundy for a long time. Uh, I think what he's done there has been remarkable uh, to to deliver the kind of consistency uh, in results that they've had. But I'm starting to notice a trend. And and if you guys haven't read, Max Olson did a great story. He went to visit Mike Gundy this offseason. And Mike is, for better or worse, not going to change. He had said this. He's like, I've done things over my career. I thought they were right and pissed people off. I do what I think is right and I don't care. I feel good. I enjoy being around the people, but I'm also not going to change my ways and change who I am. And I think considering his track record, there's some validity to that. But at the same time, the sport is changing. And I think you have to change with it to some degree. And I think there's a lot of coaches that are reckoning with this at this point. Uh, And, and, I, more so than anything that Gundy says, because and, and I say that because they have portal. And they, I thought they did a decent job of replacing the portal loss that they had. But let me read you Oklahoma State's record since 2018. 
Seven and six, eight and five, eight and three, 12 and two, seven and six. The 12 and two year in 2021, when they were one play away from winning the Big 12 championship, is the outlier there. So, and, and they, of course, they had Jim Knowles as defense coordinator at that time. I still think that's going to be a touchdown defense. every time I watch it, the replay of that play. <laughs> it was an amazing, it was an amazing play. Yeah. It's like a, he had the edge there, it looked like. Uh, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. I, I thought, yeah. I thought, sitting there watching it live, I thought, I thought they were going to get in. But that trajectory right now is just, just a little bit concerning to me uh, for Oklahoma State. I think this is a really big year for them, and I think they have to get it done before this stretch. When, when this stretch that I started in 20, 2018, they had three 10 win seasons and four 10 win seasons in five years. So this program has taken a step back generally in trajectory the last five years with that one 2021 season notwithstanding. So I'm kind of selling not so much necessarily on just this year specifically, but just on the trajectory of the program right now is just not great. And and I think this year is so critical for the Pokes to kind of get back up to a 9-10 win range and get back to contending for getting into the Big 12 championship game. All right, I'm going to end this podcast off with a little bit of dragon breath, and I just want to know what you think about this. I've listened to... Mike Gundy uh, interviews quite a bit for the past year, some of them in regards to Oklahoma leaving the conference and some of which about NIL and the transfer portal. And I don't know if this is the right or wrong way to put it, but I feel like he's always complaining (laughs) and I don't, and I can, and I appreciate the position that coaches are put in these days with trying to assemble and maintain a roster. Like I can understand why a lot of these rule changes and these shifts for at least the old school guys um, is a difficult thing to manage, but like figure it out. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like that's like, to me, it's like you make almost $8 million a year, pal. Like this is what you're paid to do. These are the rules. This is what kids are going to do, you know, cultivate an environment that, you know, promotes Oklahoma state and what you guys are trying to accomplish. And I think you'll have better success in the turmoil of maintaining your roster than, you would if every single time a microphone's in your face, you complain about how the sport's being ruined. Like that's my, that's my thought process, and people may or may or may not disagree. Um, but I just think that you can learn a lot about the direction of a coach's program based on the temperament that they act in those public settings. Like, do you think that there's a a anything any truth to that, or do you think I'm kind of flying off the handle a little bit? I think Gundy, one thing is he's never shy to give an opinion about the sport as as a whole. And that's one thing I've appreciated about him is like you can take big pictures to Mike Gundy and get a real authentic opinion that's fairly unfiltered as opposed to, you know, cliche talking points that a lot of other guys like to use. So so I appreciate that about Mike and I appreciate his candor. I do think it, it is not just specifically to Gundy, but I do think there it's is not just him. It's just other people. Like, yeah, that there, just there, like there's, that. It's like, there's a trend of guys complaining. Uh, head coaches in particular about things because things change and change is hard to deal with. And I get that. Uh, I, I think there is some validity in some of it because sure. th- there is, we're at a point now where I think the year round nature of this sport and, uh, and I'm not really worried about the head coaches. I'm more worried about those recruiting staffers and support staffers that are sure. making, you know, a fraction of the money and uh, are working these crazy hours, the calendar's a little bit crazy right now. And and I think that's an issue. But the player, the complaints about player empowerment or players being able to move freely, guys are complaining about it because it's just different. They did it one way for a long, long time, and then 
in a short amount of time, we've changed everything and we flipped the whole thing on its head. And so while I understand it, at some point, yes, you have to adapt and just deal with it and move on. And that and the, those that do it the best are going to be able to succeed long term. Yep. And I we were at the the TCU Oklahoma State game last year, right? Together. Mm-hmm. And I had I was ready to go if Oklahoma because they were both undefeated TCU and Oklahoma State at that time. And if Oklahoma State would have won that game and they were winning by a ton and in overtime, it looked like they were going to win a few times. Um, I was going to write a column and I had it all like thought out and the numbers added up that Mike Gundy's one of the more underappreciated coaches in college football. So I have a lot of respect for what he's accomplished, but like also too, this is a very critical time in Oklahoma state's trajectory as a program. And like, I just want to feel more energy of this is hard. The calendar stinks. We all know that, but we're doing everything we can at Oklahoma state to take advantage and be the beneficiary of these challenges. Like that's like the temperament that I would want for my coach, especially one who's making uh seven and a half million dollars a year. So that, <laughs> that's just my, my take on that. Um, so thank you so much for watching and listening to until Saturday, follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Um, the link to the YouTube channel can be found in the show's description. I really appreciate your time. Um, this is not officially investing advice, is it, Sam? Like uh, we we cannot be held accountable this, if you lose your ass. This is not ass. gambling <laughs> advice. Absolutely yeah. not. Certainly uh, don't bet on anything. I tell you. But I thought that was a fun exercise, and it felt good to be Jim Cramer for a day. So uh, we will be keeping you posted with more preview content leading into Week Zero. Until then, this was until Saturday. <laughs>